What's up? This is Matt Franco. And this is Eric Dittleman, and welcome to Mind Over Magic. What's up, man? I am excited to converse with you. (laughs) So matter of fact, I am also excited to converse with you. Should I have sounded more excited? Uh, You could have. But uh, also... Let me try it again. No. I'm very excited to converse with you. <laughs> I think just using the word converse is a very weird way to phrase that. Because it's formal. It's formalized. It's a, yeah, it's a very formal uh, way of speaking. Uh, What's so, up? Yeah. Now, uh, a, a lot's up, man. It's been a busy week. Again, I've been on the road. I've been doing shows. I've been seeing shows. A lot's been happening in the world. Uh, you yeah. just... Um, you just had your Ellen thing, uh, Ellen thing, Ellen appearance uh, air. And uh, how did that go? How Tell us about, we yeah, we heard everything leading up to it, but now it made air. People saw it. Uh, there's clips online and probably more to come. Uh, yes. But uh, how did you feel? Were you happy with the outcome? Uh, yeah, I, I'm so happy with it, which isn't really a given. Mm-hmm. Right. Talk shows are really a difficult beast and it's very different than performing live. It's very different than like shooting and putting out your own magic. It mm-hmm. is uh, or your own performance of any kind. Uh mag- with magic in particular, it's a different thing. You don't know what the final cut looks like necessarily until it comes on the TV. That was that was the case for me and I don't necessarily I I actually I would go as far as to say like I don't like watching myself kind of like how people don't like hearing their own voice recorded things like that. Um, but you, I do have to kind of give it at least a, a glance magic-wise to see if I'm happy with how everything looked. Right, exactly. And there's that weird, uh, you know, you get the feeling of how it went in studio as you're doing it, but then you get to see the final product, and sometimes, you know, it might not be exactly the way you remember how it feeling it and just be like, uh, you know, certain edits and so forth. But I, I watched uh, just one of the clips. I'm still waiting for the other ones to come out. Uh, right. But you seem totally natural and in your element, man. Like it came across really, really well. Thank you. I I walked away from it feeling good, and then uh, having seen the uh, seen the show air, I uh, I it just it, it confirmed that. So I'm really happy with how everything went, and uh, you know, just thankful for the opportunity. It's the farewell season, yeah. so it was really cool to uh, to be part of. And yeah, I'm thrilled to be honest with you because. That's it's a really hard thing to do. Those yeah. talk shows are, are are can be really challenging, but their team uh, made my job as easy as they could. So they That's were great. really really fantastic. But anyway, thank you for people for watching it. Thank you for the awesome feedback from people, including from your brother. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he did. He a said five stars. Three. I don't know if that was out of five or ten. I think he said it was out of five, though. So that's good. I think it was a reference to your five of hearts that you kept making. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm so embarrassed. I didn't get that until now. So <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, uh, but oh, did they did they provide that table or I mean, because you have like a. Like what a, a question. Felt, I love it. A felt green uh, tabletop like a casino would. And I was like, I don't remember seeing this as a set piece in Ellen's you know, repertoire of you know, 
tables they could bring out. So uh, did you have to provide that? Did you have to figure out some solution, get something shipped in? What I love this nitty gritty. Honestly, it's probably <laughs> one of my favorite parts of the podcast because like that is like a legitimate question if I was watching something. I want to uh-huh. know that. Yeah, yeah. I want to know too. That's why I asked. And, I, and it also comes from like fool us too because they had like options of tables you could use that were like part of the Penn and Teller theater and i was like "Ah, i just need a stool you know and kind of went with that but um but also that kind of helps penn and teller out when they there's a table that they're not familiar with sometimes that's brought in and they're like well that's not ours so maybe that has something to do with the method of the performer of how they're performing you know um so but you so what did you do when you came to ellen and you're like i need a big flat surface that i can do card pick up cards from so um yeah, not only I'm sure you not only recognized it that's not from Ellen's normal set, but you mm-hmm. also notice it's not what's used in my show in Vegas. Right, because yours has which, your face on it when you do right. it. Yes. <laughs> Unfortunately, it does. <laughs> um, yeah, so they now they provided it, but mm-hmm. there are more details than that. Ooh. So they say, you know, leading up to it, and this is all communicated through our team. You know, they say our, you know. What does Matt need for this? Is there is there a table? Does he bring the table? What is it? Does it need to be fuzzy so you mm-hmm. can pick things up on it? Those types of questions. And the the most important thing to me um, is actually the height. Oh yeah, yeah. So that was pretty much the specifications I gave them was about thirty six inch height. And the reason for that is because I'm most comfortable doing that routine standing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, with both of us standing, I thought made the most sense for the energy for the routine, and. If you have a table that's normal height, like a dinner table height, the and you're performing things at the table, and this is just the truth. I don't mean to be, um, uh, I'm not trying to be vulgar, but like the whole, every shot is on your crotch. Right. That's because it's, yeah, it's lower than you expected. You're probably hunched over. It's an awkward position to maybe perform in. So to have like almost like a standing desk, you know, that's the big craze with these, uh, yeah. you know, getting people at, in the workplace to stand at their desks and it would be cool if you had like a little motorized one where you could like adjust it like a <laughs> yeah, like one right. of the couches, you know. <laughs> but it is one of the most common. I mean, it is a very common mistake I see mm-hmm. all the time where it's like the magician is performing magic in front of their crotch as their backdrop on, right. on television. It's right. like the mo- it's like very uncomfortable. So, you know, I said the height here's here's what the height needs to be. They had seen footage of the table I use in my show. So that inspired for like what table they were going to rent or whatever, I think. But I said, look, the actual size, when I'm doing it in the show, I have four people around it with me. The, the actual surface being that large is not necessary. What's most important to me is is the height. If you can get something in, in the range of 36 inches. So what that table was was actually a, a card table, like a, oh, wow. a, card, a table you'd play cards at. Just to avoid the crotch shot. Um, no. <laughs> and to avoid hunching over. It depends on the audience, by the way. Maybe some yeah, people well, want to see that. I, Maybe I've said c- it before. I'll say it again. I'm not Magic Mike. I'm Magic Matt. <laughs> Maybe Very there's different. like a OnlyFans tie-in for a specific <laughs> Which audience. I don't have, to, for, to be very clear. And if you, I don't know if you're making an announcement that you no, do. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe once we get the Patreon. Um, no. <laughs> Free access to our OnlyFans. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, that's that's a good tip to uh, yeah to keep 
keep that up. Uh, keep the table up, I should say. <laughs> the, uh, keep your magic up. You, you know, keep magic. your magic up yeah. to your face too. Yeah, You'll yeah. notice several times through the routine, mm-hmm. I bring mm-hmm. the cards up to my face for no other reason, so that we're not just staring at a table and hands the whole time. It gives it texture. Mm-hmm. It gives you more face time, which is a really good thing, yeah. and um, makes the magic kind of more engaging because you're connecting through the camera. Mm, that's great, man. I look forward to seeing the other clips as they come out. Uh, yeah. I'm sure you'll be posting them on your socials when they do so people can, if they missed the segment, they can catch it. Supposedly by the time this airs, the clips will be out. But you never know exactly like mm-hmm. where they're going to cut it off. You yeah. know, So you, you might see the full things. You might not. That's why I encourage people to, to try to see the show if you can. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you missed it, uh, the clips will definitely be a good substitute. So anyway, thank you to people for checking out. And I was I was really excited to to do it. Well, uh, speaking of being in the presence of someone with a lot of, uh, you know, star power, I ended up um, kind of treating myself and a buddy. We went to see Elton John in his last concert at Madison Square Garden this week. And I think it's the largest public gathering I've been in since the pandemic. Uh, obviously everyone, they, you know, had checks for vaccination and masks and so forth like that. But, uh, wow. He puts on an amazing show. Matt. It was incredible. Yeah. I got to see him perform a few songs at Gillette stadium for mm. the opening game for the Patriots. Once. Oh, no way. That's awesome. That's the only time I've seen him in person, even though he does did a ton of Vegas shows over the years. Um, Tiana saw that you were there is very jealous because she always <laughs> wanted to go and it's right across the street at Caesars mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but we never did get a chance to make it over there and this is like a farewell so I don't know if he's coming back to Vegas I, don't I know. mean the joke a lot of people are saying like he's been doing a farewell for like five years but this okay, was technically right. a reschedule from 2020 so right. it, it was two years after the fact um, so it seems like it's been going on for a while but uh, it was uh, incredible I mean just from a entertainment standpoint of course his songs are amazing and everyone loves that but to to make a show big and flashy when it's just someone sitting at a piano the whole time I think is a challenge it's something difficult to do right um, yeah. we also lucked out. We were on the correct side of that where he's sitting on the piano. So you can actually see his face facing and, you. Yeah. Right? So he's facing, but he also, they had a, like a GoPro at the keyboard so they could cut to a shot of him with his hands and they had these huge screens and they, the way they kind of like bolstered the songs was by, uh, these amazing graphics, just so many cool video techniques that I just was like, this is a neat thing and maybe like something I could put in my the back of my mind if I'm doing larger shows of like uh, like he's at the piano and they're digitally adding graphics to it in real time so like his piano was on fire one at one point like literally flames coming off not in real life literally but just on the on the screen and wow. uh kind of like doing these kind of transparent layers if you're into videography of like where it's cutting to him but other the, these other graphics kind of creeping in and uh and some of the songs like just uh, the amazing animation and the work that got into it was like almost watching like it's like oh i should be watching elton but this story on unfolding on screen is pretty pretty amazing but uh we had a great time and uh wow one of those experiences you're never gonna forget is just you know him going through all of his major hits and uh people loving it and jamming it and me and my buddy were definitely the youngest in our section and just standing up and dancing and no one cared (laughs) you know we didn't care if we were blocking people behind us but 
It's fun. Well, the production must be so elaborate. And when you're talking about sort of overlaying graphics on the live feed, that's really, really cool. Mm-hmm. And that's that's using a media server. And it's like the same thing they use to program lights for the Super Bowl and things like yeah. that. And it's the same thing a lot of Vegas shows use. There are different mm-hmm. ones, mm-hmm. some called Hippos and D3s and different things. Um, because because So we use, we use a media server like that, too, that can do a lot more than we use it to do. Mm-hmm. Nice. Because we use it for what we need, but we wouldn't be able to run the show off, say, QLab, because you're at risk of, you know, it uh, crashing. It's like if you try to, like, edit a huge video on a computer that doesn't have enough, I guess you would call it RAM, right? Yeah, enough memory or anything. Enough memory yeah. or RAM. Yeah, so, like, it just it. can't handle it, so at some point it goes down. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I'm sure the production is is outstanding. I am sure it's extravagant because I've heard rumors that he has a – really really big budget mm-hmm. for flowers backstage oh funny <laughs> like a lot of money f- per show wow just to for surround flowers. himself in flowers listen i like flowers as much as the next guy yeah but i heard it's like you know could be up in the tens of thousands wow. for just the flowers <laughs> What are these exotic flowers being shipped I have in? no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I've just heard a rumor that the flower budget is 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 high. So I mean, no detail I think is left unturned with the Elton John concert. I was gonna say too. I I would assume some of the his budget would go to like his costumes because he's very known for his like very over the top oh, flamboyant costumes. And I was expecting to see a little bit more of that in this, but uh, he did do three costume changes, but they all looked like the most comfortable thing you could possibly wear in your life. Like they were all like almost like silk pajama-ish. <laughs> and yep. just him chilling out, doing his songs. It's like that's the way to once you get to that level of fame and just be like, I'm I'm gonna ease on to stage and be the most comfortable person I could be and uh and then go off stage and, you know, could lounge for a while. <laughs> it seemed like he was gonna do. Is it like a tracksuit? Like a velour tracksuit? Yeah, suit? It was, that was definitely like one of them for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but oh, I can only imagine great. what they're dripping them in. It's got to be all kinds of Versace and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. things like that that I don't really understand. Um, the cool technical element I really liked is at one point we noticed that early on that there was like, oh, there's a track on stage, like a you know a slit going through the whole stage. We're like, what's that about? And then during one of his songs, the piano starts to move and rotate and go to the other side of the stage as he's playing and then go back and it's just like oh this is fun that's a fun way to do it i like i like those kind of animated you know animatronic stuff that they can do and shows um but again tying it back to what we do it's kind of uh you can't do too much (laughs) of that big jump by the way (laughs) just to clarify we're not trying to say we're We're not trying to use elton Elton john John. in either of our names in the same (laughs) sentence just to clarify because it did come across that way but that isn't what he meant i'm just gonna speak on your behalf there (laughs) trying to tie it back in terms of production value and like using some of these fancy techniques of like the video production and the in the animatronic stage moving pieces is like you we have to figure out the balance of that because if you use too much of it people think that becomes the method of how an effect works so if you're using some sort of special effect on the screen who's to say you didn't add a digital coin in your hand and then digitally made it vanish you know uh so trying to close those 
boxes and uh, and make sure that uh, people aren't assuming the wrong things when it comes to technology used for deception purposes. So yeah, it needs to be done very carefully. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, you know, handling technology and magic needs to be done very carefully so that it doesn't take away from the effect. It needs to be used to to add to the effect. Right. Right. You know. Um, Easier said than done, but that's yeah, a whole nother that's a whole, can of... We could do a whole episode on that. We technology. could. We could. <laughs> we'll put it in our notes for uh, Perhaps another Perhaps we will we'll someday. Put a, put a pin in it. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. I was on so the road, cool. Matt. The, I was on the road. What's ro- that? Oh, I was going to move on and do... What else did you want to say? <laughs> no, no. I was going to say you went to another event, too. Oh, just yeah. Just figured it would loop just, right in yeah, there. Yeah, just last night I went to a book signing for Bob Odenkirk. I don't know. I wouldn't expect you to know who Bob I Odenkirk do. was. I you do. You do? Okay, I recognized good. him, but I couldn't yes. exactly figure it out why I know him. I've seen him in something that I yeah, can't place him. He is um, one of my comedy idols, but he has a new book coming out, or just came out. We got signed copies at this kind of in-person interview and talk back. Uh, it's called Comedy, 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 Drama, because... For the whole first, you know, several years of his career, he was all in the comedy world. And then recently, within the past, you know, decade or so, he switched more into like the dramatic acting. So uh, he was a writer on SNL, uh, wrote for, you know, the Ben Stiller show. And then he had his own like lauded, amazing sketch show called Mr. Show with Bob and David, with him and David Cross. And they kind of like put this whole new take on the sketch format um, and kind Can of. Can you rattle off some of his in front of the camera things? That, right, right, right. That I'm getting there. Might have I'm, seen? Yeah, I'm getting there. Okay. But then he made the big switch over with um, Breaking Bad, where he played Saul Goodman, the lawyer. Um, and then his spinoff from that as well, which he's just wrapping up Better Call Saul. And then he was just in an action movie. He now is an action star oh, for wow, okay. uh, this, this m- new movie that came out called Nobody that it was very much like a John Wick, kind of like uh, a guy who's pushed too far and, uh, and kind of um, uh, taking matters into his own hands with his own special ops training and so forth. But uh, he is uh, just so, so funny. And uh, you would definitely know his work if you saw it, because he's he's also responsible for creating the famous Chris Farley sketch, the um, the uh, Matt Foley, the motivational speaker, the man who lived down by the river. Uh, and he was telling a story at this talkback about how he was writing for SNL and also going back to Second City to perform and write, and then flying back to New York for the, the taping of SNL and trying to have it all covered and so forth. Uh, but that's where he kind of wrote this Matt Foley character. And then Chris Farley, who was unknown at the time, just on the Second City stage, just like won everyone over uh, and uh, just with his personality. And then it ended up on SNL and doing that character on SNL as well. So uh, his stories, I mean, I haven't read the book yet because I just got it. But uh, that's what I plan on doing. In fact, I'll do an early goal. <laughs> reading his book uh but he talks about you know running into legendary improv teacher del close in a bookshop and that's what started him off and trying to wow. write a comedy uh but what i liked about the talk uh is he he touched about things we've talked about here on the podcast about failing right he said you know fail often and get and this the point of him writing his book is he wanted to talk about all those projects that never happened uh, because he's like, that's the more inspiring thing is to see all these people that are putting things and just constantly working. And some of them don't get greenlit. Some of them go by the wayside. 
And when you see like an actor just disappear for a while and then come back, you think they're just not doing anything, but they're constantly working and trying to get to that next thing. And they're working on projects you'll never see that didn't get picked up. And he's like, that's the thing. That's the drive. That's why he got into to comedy himself. So, Well, the SNL connection makes sense because I've placed where I know him from. Where do you know him from? Curb Your Enthusiasm. Oh, yeah. I'm sure he's been in. <laughs> yeah, for sure. He played Porno Gill. <laughs> what a character. He, yeah, he played the role of a porn actor. <laughs> Um, and like Larry David had dinner at his house and yeah. was, you know, revolted by all his stories and everything. And yeah, it was a, it was a great episode as usual, but That's I knew so I recognized funny. the face right away. And yeah, and I, uh, a little, a little Google may have helped me place exactly what he was on the show. Sure. <laughs> I'll tell you my favorite part about this talk bag, because I always like when people take a form you're familiar with and break it a little bit. So, you know, a normal interview happens and then they open it up for questions. And the thing that I hate about these and by the way, there was like 300 people at this event. It was much larger than I expected because I was just like, oh, a book signing. I'll, I'll support this independent bookstore. Uh, right. Went all the way to Brooklyn. It was at this huge fancy hotel and this meeting room that seen so many people. Um, but then you get that thing that happens at Comic-Con a lot where the fans ask the questions and you're like, you're not even a, asking a question. Like I want, I always think of like a poignant question to ask that was like, what's the deep meaningful thing that I can pull information from this person with all this experience. And a lot of people are like, can you sign this? And I was like, you know, those kind of things. So what happened was after a few of those types of questions, uh, Bob goes, I actually have uh questions i'm gonna pass out to audience members to read so he had pre-written ones that he wanted to answer but they were all like sort of joke ones so like the first guy read one that's like i don't want to read your book and don't have any plans of reading it but like tell me the gist what <laughs> like so he, these were pre-written by bob himself to give to oh, audience members oh, right to read. right that was a pre-written one got it okay. and then another one was just like what do you hate more writing or yourself and just like very funny questions that he had canned funny responses to. And I was like, that's a great way to break out of that normal format that we all know of and take it in a left turn, which is kind of the whole, you know, purpose of, uh, you know, comedy is take what you know and put a new spin on it. So did you submit a question? I did not. I raised my hand once, uh, but uh, they didn't come to me. Gotcha. <laughs> there was a lot. of. What people. were you going to ask? Uh, probably something about the creative process. Oh, no, I was going to ask. Can well, you sign this? Yeah, can you sign? Can we do a photo together? Can I hug you? <laughs> uh, but the, no, there was uh, the, the question I was going to ask was, um, uh, is there a, like a sketch idea that was like so out there that you're either uh, still super proud of and uh, upset and never got anywhere? Or the flip side of the coin, one that you're like, oh, I'm pretty glad that never made it because it was a little too far out there it would have been too too weird uh so i was just curious of of those out there ideas that i'm fascinated by gotcha it's a yeah. good question yeah i think so i think so. awesome uh but speaking um, of out there ideas i did a show this uh this weekend i was up in pennsylvania and then syracuse i was just kind of traveling around doing some shows i did a college and um they were so sweet. They were so like excited to have me there. Uh, but the, the we're still coming out of a pandemic, so they were a little bummed that the turnout wasn't necessarily where they wanted it to be. Plus, there was a storm, so they were so sweet and came up to me in the green room and like, "We only have like a, you know, so and like maybe ten to twenty people here. We're so sorry." I was like, "No." totally fine like i've right. done shows of all sizes of audiences right so 
a uh, few more people came by the time show started but when they told me that i was like oh this is gonna be a fun kind of loosey-goosey show like right. i always like when you have a smaller crowd pulling everyone into it so i tried some stuff on stage that i don't normally do and one of the the funniest to me, and I'm hoping the audience was on board for it, was during my blindfold reveal, I uh, kind of took some liberties of getting to what they drew. So I go, what are you studying? They go, library science. I go, all right, we're going to go on a journey here. Walk with me here. <laughs> Follow me here. <laughs> I'm just like, all right, library science. Uh, people either draw like a man-made thing or a living thing. Uh, if you think about it, like books in a way we're living at one point uh, i'm gonna say this is a living thing and i'm like cracking up as i'm doing this reveal and the audience has started to crack up too and i'm just like i think it's a living thing and it's like if you think of like books come in like soft cover but also hardcover hardcover is sort of related to whatever this is right and like i'm starting to just describe it i was like and if you think of it this way this living thing it travels and it could if you think of their, you know, dwelling as a home, sort of are taking their library with them and they can peek inside to read a book, like just going avant-garde off the wall, <laughs> describing this turtle that ended up being the drawing. <laughs> I just oh, was like, wow, it was a turtle. I was not <laughs> expecting that. But just to go, to go on this journey and just to be like, hey, we're being silly, we're being goofy. And I think those are the fun moments in live shows where it's like, it's not planned, it's not you know, the script as per se it should be. But uh, yeah, I was just, it was one of those funny, funny moments. And they, they all loved the show. They all came up after me. We did autographs and photographs and it was, it was a lot of fun. Awesome. Yeah, Maybe man. some of that'll work its way into the regular show. Yeah. Well, I try to improvise a lot in the show anyway, because those are moments that keep it fresh for me, but mm -hmm. I've never done a reveal that just like started going in the wrong direction on purpose, just because I knew I was going to be able to, to swoop back around, like taking a yeah. huge detour. <laughs> right. That's awesome. Yeah. It'd be like if you started one of your bits is like, I'm just going to go out in the audience and see where this happens and then <laughs> find your way right. back on stage eventually. I was in the audience last night and one of my previous volunteers who was on stage earlier was just standing in the way in the middle of an aisle. Oh. Now I was going really? to do a trick in the middle of the audience. Mm-hmm. You can imagine where we're at in the show here. Yeah. And it's like really awkward because this guy's standing there. <laughs> and I'm like, what are you doing over here? I got to get by here. <laughs> you never know what you're going to get in Vegas. You really mm -hmm. don't. But he just reminded me of that. It's like, did you did you try to, when you said you tr took some liberties, did you do anything fun? Like, like bring people on stage, like the whole group or anything like that? Because it was a more intu intimate group. I probably would have played around with that. Uh, more if it wasn't still like there's still that weirdness with covid right so oh, getting too yeah. many people up on stage but i like think all, I, how about all that craziness steve martin used to do where apparently he would just like take his entire audience of a theater outside and stuff like that have very, you read about that very andy kaufman kaufman andy kaufman took everyone out for cookies after a show piled everyone up on a bus right and took them wow I, yeah. yeah i didn't know that <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, I think, I think I've done that in the past, especially for small crowds. Like I think I've even like sat on the edge of the stage and was like, just everyone gather around. We'll do some stuff here, you know, mm -hmm, rather mm -hmm. than do the formal stage show, make it more like a living room show at that point where you're just casual, right, right. casual and meeting everyone. I think that's a fun way to well, see. I, I like that you're in good spirits about just making the best of it. Yeah. Yeah. 
And know? again, I've done so many types of shows. Again, in the college market, especially, you have to adapt because you never know where you're going to walk into. But it could be two thousand people. Exactly. I've done shows in packed houses. I've done shows with ten people. I've done mm-hmm. shows uh, virtually with zero people. <laughs> 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 so <laughs> it's all experience, and then how how to deal with that situation. So right, right, yeah, cool. Well, I want to switch gears a little bit here. Uh, I know. And this is uh, obviously we're recording this as things are going on in the world right now with the um, Russia invading um, the Ukraine. And uh, I'm sure you, like me, are like, this is a big event in the world. And how do we help out? What can we do other than, like, just be aware of it on on the news and so forth? Uh, You know, you could donate money and whatnot. But then I found out, because uh, I was thinking about some people that have ties to that region, uh, I saw a mentalist friend of mine, and I just kind of wished him well, was checking in to make sure he's safe. Found out he was um, he was able to get out of the Ukraine. He's the, one of the best mentalists in the Ukraine. I'm not going to mention his name in case he doesn't want to kind of put that out there. But uh, he just came to New York and let me know. He's like, I don't know anyone here. I'm in New York. And I don't know anyone here, and I don't know how long I'm going to be here. And obviously, he's thinking about his friends and family back home and just following the news and kind of in his head. So I was driving back to Syracuse and um, trying to set him up with uh, just connections in the magic world. So there'd be people that would uh, he could talk to or see. So uh, I met, met up with him with for drinks when I got into town and kind of introduced him to some friends of mine. And then I was going to take him into like speakeasy magic and some other shows scam that I do, both of which he couldn't get into Uh, scam wasn't happening that weekend, but I did uh, set him up. He went to um, Monday night magic and is kind of going to be there whenever he wants. And uh, uh, we're going to a show tonight. So like I've kind of taken him under my wing a little bit just to get him out there and keep his mind off of things and at least escape you know, all the worry and stuff that's going on in his head about back home. So it was like, I don't know what I can do globally to help the cause, but like on an individual level, it's like I at least can, you know, support this friend. And we only met once at a magic convention in Vegas years ago, and he knew me from, you know, some of my television appearances. So he reached out to me and we connected. But to, 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 like, I was like, the that's the least I could do is to take this guy out on town so he's not in his, you know, wherever he's staying in Brooklyn thinking about this tragedy that's happening and to, you know, get him out and have a drink and have a few laughs and talk about mentalism and his craft and his show and my show and kind of talk shop. He, he told me after, he's like, that was the nicest thing, like, to be able to clear my head for a while and to just, like, go on so i wanted to just put that out there it's like look for those like individual things you can help out and i think it makes a huge difference that's very cool buddy i'm glad you were able to do that that's really uh that's really great yeah and he's gonna be here you know obviously kind of up in the air in the moment for how long you know so i'm trying to just introduce him to as much of the magic community that i know so he has you know it's finding that common ground with people you know and um i if I ever travel to other countries or whatnot, I know that the community is there from what we do is unique. Like the magic world's so small. And so, you know, when you think about it, that I probably have some sort of connection and can meet someone. And, you know, hopefully, that, you know, people would do the same kindness to me if I was stuck in a country that I didn't know anyone and, you know, at least be able to 
talk, you know, about the same techniques that we all use and feel a little bit at home with the things you're passionate about while you're you have to be away. So you've really rolled out the red carpet for him. So you gotta be, he's going to start getting spoiled. He's going to be like, why did I get to go to scam? But you went to Elton John, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Some of these tickets I already had tickets to, but but yeah, no, no, I am going to try and, uh, you know, show him around town and have him see some shows with me. And, um, you know, again, he's just trying to figure out, you know, how he can, you know, do what he does maybe here for, you know, cause he might be here indefinitely. And, you know, obviously I'm wishing him well for his family and everything. And hopefully, you know, this conflict ends soon and he can get back to some sort of normal semblance of life. But, uh, we're spreading I can't the joy and the love yes. on mind over magic today. Yes, yes, yes. Very good. So, uh, support it any way you can. I think that's kind of the goal is like, even that individual level is so important and key. So that's where it begins. Yeah. Uh, and we won't go into the rest of, you know, political thoughts on that because we're not a political podcast and don't know. <laughs> what it goes we're without about. saying. But, but we uh, will do yes. trivia and riddles. Yeah. Let's get into our wheelhouse, what we're comfortable with, and go to Diddle Me This. Diddle Me This. Diddle Me That. Will Eric end up stumping Matt? Riddles. This is a short one, Matt. Here we go. You go at red, but stop at green. What am I? You go at red, but stop at green. What am I? Yes. First Hmm. instincts. What are you thinking? Talk it out. Talk it out. You go at red, but stop at green. Mm Mm-hmm. Hmm. I'm thinking like, like that arm that comes down to like allow people to not cross when the train comes, like that goes. But it's not quite the answer. But like but that right. goes down on red and okay, then opens on green. So you automatically went to like traffic because obviously this is sort of the reverse of what we know from you know traffic lights and uh, everything growing up of or just the the you know. <laughs> What we see every day is you usually go at green and stop at red, but this is Thank you. swapping it. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Is that is that a hint that, that you that you normally go at green? Just making sure you are on the same page. Making sure I have the context. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. So I will um, say it's not travel related. So it's not like okay. traffic related in any way. Yeah, right. Like greens could be a lot of things. Greens could be foods. Um, you go at red. That's the thing. Like, what do you go at red? Um, you know, now I'm thinking like a like bullfighting. A bull charges at a red cape is like the stereotype there, right. or the the gist of what happens there. And I think bulls are colorblind too, so I don't think it's actually the color. I think I've heard the, that actually. Yeah, the, I've the heard that it, the color is not relevant. But I, don't I think know. the color was relevant because it was to hide you know wounds and the probably that comes from that terrible sport but uh, yes <laughs> yeah i agree with you um go at red stop at green those are two parts of an individual item so it's kind of breaking down some sort of item into uh two sections that are red and green but you are on you are on the right track. You didn't mention kind of the category of this thing. I did food. Yeah. yeah. You go at red, stop at green. Mm-hmm. 
Blood is red, but that's not food. <laughs> it is if you're uh, a vampire. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> blood uh, is food if you're a vampire. Title um, 87. So go, they're using as just kind of like a metaphorical verb as well. I get so, it. But with, with, with food, go is obviously going to be, what do you do with food? You eat it? Yeah. So Well, replace, I'm trying to think now of like yeah. a food that is both red and green. Correct. And then you will have So is it like a sauce. radish? Mm, not quite. Not a radish. Because I feel like a radish is red and it might have some green leaves, but it's not exactly red. Tomato. Tomato. Um, doesn't quite work as well. Because like a lot of tomatoes don't even have the little green stem. Hmm, but you don't want to eat a green tomato, right? Some people do. What about like fried green tomatoes? Oh, okay. <laughs> um, well, usually when they're green, it means they're not ripe yet. I was gonna say you. I was gonna say to switch from you said radish, which is vegetable, over to fruit, but then you sort of did because tomatoes are technically it could be fruit, a fruit, right? Fruit, but so keep going along that spectrum and more into the fruit realm. Hmm. Think um, picnics maybe. Think Fourth of July. Apples, bananas. I'm just trying to think of fruits now. Oranges. Think about when it's nice out. Fourth of July. Watermelon. There it is. Okay. (laughs) All right. So you go at red, the red of the, you know, the flesh of the watermelon, and then you stop at green, the the rind of the watermelon. That's that riddle. How do you feel about it? I like it. Oh, you like it. Okay. Good. Yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> All right. Let's switch over. Am I going to give that to you? I, get, I mean, I walked you to the answer. You Is walked that... me to it. I don't think I get a happy <laughs> okay. sound for that one. Uh, <laughs> I held your hand and walked you right there, but let's jump over to trivia. Matt picks up the question, then he stares at it. Eric's at the ready. Time to use his wit. Pressure. 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 Trivia. Pressure. Trivia. On the con in the the carrying over from our food conversation, I'm going to ask you, what is the gestation period of a hippopotamus? Uh, I'm just supposed to know that. <laughs> Let me ask you this, because I do uh-huh. have choices. Any idea what the ballpark would be? Well, I think the only like gestation period I would even know to reference this from humans nine months, right? Um, so would, that, I, that actually gives you more reference than I would have known right I, there. I would say maybe it's longer. Um, okay. Well, that, that you have four choices, and right. two of them are shorter and two of them are longer. So, <laughs> okay. Let's I like it. your reasoning so far. Yeah. I mean, that that's uh, this is part of what makes you good at trivia, I think. Uh, yeah. It's the logic and deductive reasoning and the reference yeah. points. And, but so then, yeah, and they're bigger animals. So I would imagine. They takes longer, like bigger, longer. Yeah, whatever. Okay, so what are the choices? Four months, 16 months, eight months, 12 months. So it's either, if you want to say it's long, and I don't know the answer, by the way. So mm-hmm. if you want to say it's longer than nine months, you choose 12 or 16. If you want to go lower, it'd be four or eight, which are both apparently, according to your facts, less than a human. So Right. Although I don't, I wonder if it's two, because there's all these weird, like, animal facts where it's, like, surprising so if it is shorter, uh, that would be a surprise to me. 
but also like eight months is very close to a human, so that would be like a interesting thing to me. Like, oh, they just have the same gestation period. I'm gonna say I, my gut says longer, so but I'm close to a human. I'm gonna say twelve months is my guess. Okay, let's find out together. I talked it out. Who wants to be a millionaire style? I didn't hear a sound. Hold on. No, yeah, I didn't either. Are you on silent? Is that why? Yeah, but it also didn't come up with the answer. Hold on. Let's oh, see. no. Or is this something we're going to have to Google? Oh, oh it was incorrect. No. That's why. That's why it didn't come up with the answer, because that's not the answer. Okay. Um, <laughs> let's try eight months. Okay. Wow. Okay, so you're going for the under. I want to see. I'm saying close to human, I think, is a surprise. Yeah, Nailed it. There you go. <laughs> wow. So the gestation period for a hippopotamus is eight months. The mother will then go off by herself to have the the baby, which may be born either on land or underwater. There you go. There you go. You learned something. I don't know when this knowledge will ever come up, but uh, if someone draws a hippo in my show, maybe I'll be like, now follow me here. <laughs> They've Human. categorized this under science <laughs> trivia. So Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. animal science. Follow mm-hmm. me here with this. All right, you know how humans give birth in nine months? Well, I'm getting the sense that eight months, a little less, could be in water. Are you thinking of a hippo? <laughs> what a reveal that would be. Uh, Matt, I think uh, we should jump into our mailbag. What do you say? I'm very excited to do so. The mailbag. I've got mail. Yes, um, we plucked this one out. Our friend Jay Gilligan, who we've mentioned on the show uh, with his amazing um, reflex juggling show I talked about a few episodes ago. You can hear my review of that, of just how creative that show is. Uh, do you want to read this listen, one, Listen, listen, listen. No one cares about your review when Neil Patrick Harris has been to his show <laughs> to review it glowingly, <laughs> right? I mean, how cool Fair. is it that yeah. uh, we – re- no, jokes aside, I mean, yeah. we have the best listeners. This is uh, – it's really unbelievable – um, anyway, uh, Jay Gilligan yeah. reflex show, uh, check out, you know, I guess Neil Patrick Harris posted about it. His whole family went to the show and just couldn't stop raving. So good. It was, yeah, I'm still thinking about the creativity behind it, but, uh, there is a theme in the show that this, um, mailbag, uh, he touches upon and wanted to hear our thoughts on Do you want to read this out loud or do you want yes. me to read it? Okay. You yeah, it. sure. It says, if you ever get the chance, this is, this is. From Jay, if you ever get the chance, I'd love to hear the two of you talk about the idea of skill in your work. This idea that skill of any sort, either hidden or in plain sight, that skill can be a major distraction to the audience. And it's possible to over, is it basically asking, is it possible, our opinion, is it possible to overcome this reaction that everyone has skill, everyone has to skill? I might need to reword this here. Yeah. That skill, basically what he's saying is skill could be a confrontation to someone else, even if you don't mean it to be. In other words, an overt display of skill could come off as um, alpha or confrontational, mm-hmm. um, and which is the case with what he does, juggling. Everyone mm-hmm. always says, oh, I could never do that. Even though, of course, you never, ever have asked them or expected them to do anything. <laughs> yeah, even if, if you meet a dentist, for example, they never say, oh, man, I could never do a root canal. You don't say that to them. Yeah. Of course not. Um, he says, I'm not a dentist, but there's something about the human condition where the idea of skill or technique can get in the way of the larger message or image or feeling that you're trying to create. I couldn't agree more. 
so yeah. far, by the way, just to, mm-hmm. as an aside. Sure. So if you do a trick for an audience member, he says, and even if they don't see the method, maybe they have like an intuition that there's something deeply practiced going on and they get hung up on the dedication as opposed to appreciating it, even if it's happening unconsciously. Yes. A lot to unpack there. Uh, we definitely yes. have touched a little bit on this uh, and the idea of skill and magic in the past. Uh, but that's one of those things we put a pin in and then had to come. We should come back to it now because Jay yes. asked this lovely question. So, um, there, uh, this ties into the the conversation I was having with my buddy about he likes seeing skill, right? Um, when he sees a magician, he wants to know if it's what's the difference between an amateur and a pro, and or if like an amateur just bought something from a store and can perform it in a week or so, or even right out of the box the same day, versus someone who spent their whole lives working on sleight of hand. He likes to see that difference in that technique so that he can appreciate. Um, that power. And I think in the past we talked about the the skill we often see rather than method-wise, we see it come towards performance and how to deal with the audience and how to create that feeling of magic. Uh, so there's a couple different elements of skill that we can touch upon here, but I think how do you get past those who want to see the skill are, are challenging you to be like, can you do this? Because that, that is a theme in Jay's show where he's trying to make that point is you can always best a juggler by telling them to juggle one more thing, right? <laughs> and so he's mm-hmm. like, it shouldn't be about that of how much skill, you know, seven balls, eight balls, nine balls, whatever. It's like, what emotion can you evoke and how do you get past that to create like a larger idea, I think. Uh, and I think that's what he wants to tackle here with uh, our thoughts on magic and mentalism. Well, the interesting thing off the bat is I didn't realize jugglers dealt with, because I'm not a professional juggler, I didn't realize Mm -hmm. jugglers dealt with that same sort of um, confrontation aspect. I thought it was kind of exclusive to magic specifically, because in magic, there's the whole, you know, a lot of times people aren't really exposed to a whole ton of magic, so they think it's a puzzle, and then they feel this sort of inferior, they, they, they fear the feeling of, being inferior and like they need to know how it's done and need to be able to explain it and need to have an explanation and human nature. Mm -hmm. It's part of what we, some people feel. So I thought that was exclusive to magic because in juggling, everything's out on the table. It's not, there's no secret involved. Mm -hmm. So it really is just a display of skill. So I didn't, I didn't really know this is news to me that that sort of exists in juggling too. So that's an interesting parallel in music. We definitely see skill. I mean, Mm -hmm. watch, Watch John Mayer play the guitar. If you you can feel the song and appreciate that, or anyone, you can feel the song and appreciate the song and still go, wow, that must be really difficult to do. I feel like you can, those things can coexist in music. You I chose, feel like they can coexist in magic and juggling too, by the way. You chose John Mayer because he was at Madison Square Garden like two nights before Elton. That's why. I think I'm going to see him in like 10 <laughs> days or something. So that's why he was fresh on the mind. Um, but no, yeah. Uh, so yeah, music's a great analogy because you are looking oftentimes, especially at a concert, you're seeing the the technical prowess of their fingers going up and down the guitar neck or, you know. Or a vocalist. A vocalist. You hear skill in certain vocalists so Control right away. of the voice or the Trills. pianist going up and down, doing crazy mm-hmm. finger work on the keys. You know, so I think that is I think it comes down to the difference between craft and artistry. Right. So like the craft of it is the technique of how 
you know, well you're able to practice to do those fast finger flicking things, uh, similar to when you're doing some some card slides that are really technical and kind of like those, you know, they call them like move monkey moves, you know, <laughs> with your, your fingers are almost like tied up and like, you know, moving faster than people can, you know, think. But I think that's a means to what the end goal should be, right? Um, and I think you can focus in on the technique, but I think the initial impact you should be going for is the, the, the emotion or the overall meaning. And that's what should hit the audience first, I think. And I think there's a disservice when the technique kind of comes through first and they're thinking about that rather than the bigger picture of what the artist is intending. Yeah. Um, I think skill can add credibility. Mm-hmm. I think it just needs to be used in a way like when you want it to be like, I think you need to just kind of be aware of when something like looks like skill versus not. So let me just speak in terms of, of magic first. Sure. Um, Cause, and we touched on this just a little bit with some of the uh, magic I was doing for Ellen. I had to actually slow it down so that it didn't look like sleight of hand and that it felt like magic. That was my attempt for the, mm. for the clip that you saw. Yeah. Because if you do it fast, it looks amazing. It looks really cool. Um, but I don't know that it feels like magic. It feels like, wow, your hands are fast, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which wasn't what I wanted. Right. I wanted it to feel like magic. So I had to slow down the beats in order to hopefully achieve that. Now, with juggling, I might have more questions than answers um, because there's no real reason to hide the skill. It doesn't take away from the juggling, but... I think what Jay's getting at is it could take away from the overall uh, message. So how do you keep the skill there while keeping the message there? I, I, I'm right. not sure that you, I, I, I don't know because I don't have direct experience doing it, but with music, they coexist. So maybe can they coexist in juggling too? Do you think they can? I think they can. I think there can be. Yeah. I think it's a balance between all of it. Right. And if you, when you see Jay's show or get a chance to, hopefully you will, Matt, as uh, you know, he talks about, you know, the, the the standard three ball cascade you know there's skill behind doing just that well but then he's adding all the whole second half of a show is adding these creative elements and doing it in new ways and kind of breaking out so necessarily the the actual skill of doing the three ball pattern compared to a nine ball pattern or whatever is sort of lesser uh you know technically wise but then this other idea this larger concept of you know he's using new items and um you know things are unraveling with yarn i don't want to give too much away from his show Uh, but uh it's kind of a larger more artistic um impact and that's what the audience is feeling more on a surprise element or you know emotional element or just anything that's moving the audience um i kind of think i agree with you in a way as well that skill can deepen your meaning of something once you know a little bit about it. And I think that's kind of what you're saying. Uh, because I was also thinking of like the, um, the Surat painting, you know, the Sunday on the afternoon of the Island of the Grand Jete, whatever it's called, uh, that giant p- painting. And when you walk into it, I saw it in the, the, the Chicago museum there, uh, the art museum. And it's just huge. It's like takes up on an entire wall and you're mm-hmm. just in- instantly brought to just like wow of this you're in awe of this uh massive work and you know it's a really interesting tableau to look at but then as you get closer to it 
you realize the technique he used was this pointillism technique of just individual tiny dots right, along the whole thing. Great, yeah. So now you are instantly taken away by the impact, but then the understanding of the technical part of it deepens that meaning because of how much work went into putting this massive art piece together. So I think it can go hand in hand. But I think if that came across first, I don't know if you would have the same appreciation. If that was the first thing you noticed. Right. Um, it comes down to knowing what you want. Mm-hmm. So and, and the order is important. This is easier to do in the context of a full show than, than um, a short performance because you can choose – I'll sprinkle in a display of skill here. I'll sprinkle in a display of skill here. It's story time there. Mm-hmm. Uh, this I want to feel like magic. This I d- want to look like skill. I think you can let those things sort of exist at different times. But one, for example, a singer doesn't just do trill after trill after trill after trill. Right. You listen to someone like you know Ariana Grande who does lots of trills. They're not just constant because then we sort of get accustomed to it, right? So they're they're sprinkled in carefully. So mm-hmm. you're talking about the timing of it. You're talking yeah. about seeing this first and then this second. That goes hand in hand with it too. Right. But it also is is the sake of um, variety as well so that we're changing it up. Like I might choose to make something look like sleight of hand mm-hmm. as a display of skill. Cutting to four aces is a display of skill. Mm-hmm. It can it, You can play it as a, play, a display of skill. Um, but, you know changing four kings into four aces you could make it look like a display of skill or you could make it look like magic and actually both could be said that could be said for both of those examples so it's about knowing what you want it to be and controlling it um you know for how you project it to your audience and in magic there are definite definite moments and performers who dabble between like oh this is going to be a gambling demonstration which is mostly a skill-based demonstration to now we're going to have a moment of pure magic and it almost looks like you do nothing but behind the scenes maybe everything is happening (laughs) like something very difficult might be happening it's just unaware to the audience's perception so it's like what do you play into and like similar to like the Penn and Teller idea too when it comes to method if like the method is more technically appealing and amazing in its own right like they want to show that rather than the effect like they're happy to expose that in a way right to get right. to show the technical element behind it um the other well, maybe thought- if in terms of order it's the opposite of what you're saying um for that painting is that mm-hmm. it called a painting yes yes because in that example you're seeing the skill second right now yeah. maybe in juggling I, you could probably do it both ways, but maybe in juggling, the opposite works, where you condition the audience to a certain skill. Okay, and then they watch it, they're impressed by it, but they also acknowledge, okay, that's a thing. That thing I've never seen before, I get that a human can do that now. And now you can add a layer of yeah, your, your messaging on top of it after they've been conditioned. And that's sort of how Jay structured his show that I saw was like mm-hmm. starting with the technical and making that point of like, it's not just about the technical. This is like an art form. Um, but I think I also think of another medium we haven't talked about yet is like movies. And I find myself watching movies and I love getting wrapped up in the story of a movie. But you've probably been there, too. When then you're like, oh, wait, you come out of that perceived 
story for a moment to be like, how did they do that shot? Or like, how was that technical effect done? How was that special effect done? And I like knowing about that stuff. I'm, you know, just from the nature of our business and knowing mm-hmm. how things are accomplished and illusions and so forth. Um, mm-hmm. But if that takes me out in the moment of the story itself, I'm almost a little upset about it. So if I'm watching uh, the the example I was talking to my friend about um, this was that we were watching the new Hawkeye. And talking about there was like a one oneer they call them like a long shot a car race uh you you know the ch- car chase rather and you're trying to see how like oh the camera's not cutting away you know some people must be passing it to get this one shot of going from car to car and I was like all right I was more focused on the technical aspect of how they were accomplishing it than what was happening in the car chase itself but then later on there's a moment where again spoiler alert if you haven't seen the new Hawkeye he takes uh you know one of his specialty arrows and uses it in a surprising way and that was the jaw-dropping moment for me because it wasn't about oh how did they do that obviously the CGI behind making a, a giant arrow appear <laughs> um wasn't you know that that of interest to me, but the fact that all these elements that led to the story combined in a new and surprising way, uh, that was the masterful skill that I think I was more interested in. It was like, how did they set up these elements in the story in a way that they all com- combine in a surprising right. method? And that's what gave me that wow, jaw-dropping feeling. And that's what I was like, that's the cool part. Yeah. Right. To right. me. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's using uh, a, Mar- a Disney Plus Marvel show <laughs> as an example. <laughs> Um, but I think it ties into this too. Um, this is a thought, a separate thought that I've been bouncing around in my head of, um, you know, the difference between is magic a craft? Is it an art that comes up a lot? Right. It can be both. Right. Yeah. It can be both. Um, but there's a, a, a phrase that I've been hearing and kind of, again, just dwelling upon is, um, art is what the artist does. And I don't know who said that. Uh, I'll have to look up that quote, but it's like, I think it comes down to intent. So if you consider yourself an artist, what you're doing as an artist is by definition an art form. The ways of achieving that art, if you want to practice on the craft of it, that's the technical skill of it. But I think using, I think they come hand in hand. And I think you have to use this craft and skill to achieve the art, which is the vision or whatever you're trying to do as the artist. And no matter what you're doing as the artist, the output is then art. And I think right. that's a really cool idea to, to think upon. I agree with that. I like that. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Uh, hopefully that answers your question, Jay, or gives you some stuff to think about. Uh, but what was really cool about this question, yeah. it was less of a question, more of a discussion topic, which was great. Yeah. I loved we, it. We would love more of those, too. If you have any or, or if you have thoughts on that topic, we'd love to hear of them, too. So if you have uh, ideas of skill versus art versus, you know, overall meaning, please write into us. We, uh, we ask a lot of you guys because we, we know most people just ask questions like, can you sign this? So, <laughs> yeah, we don't want to write our own questions to have you then write it. Like, but we uh, will if we have to. <laughs> But um, but also, if you have just a general topic of something else you want us to discuss, uh, we're always love getting those types of emails. And you can email us at mindovermagicpodcast at gmail.com. How about Beautiful. that? This has been a fantastic one today. Um, I think you already did your goal, though. 
Yeah, I did. I did. Uh, oh, last week's goal was to work on some magic routines and especially some new, um, you know, kind of techniques that I'm working on. And I did do that. I'm still playing around with some new stuff and just kind of getting the workings of the technique, the skill, if you will, in my bones before I can add the art to it. Yeah. See how I tied mm -hmm. that all in? Uh, I like it. But uh, yeah, I'm just going to keep my next goal. Uh, I have a stack of books, but I'll put the Bob Odenkirk near the top, see if I could get through a couple books this week. Uh, but to read Bob's uh, Bob's uh, Odenkirk's book is a memoir. I'm excited Very to cool. hear about his story. I have a goal that I've never done before. Well, your last goal was to refine one of the 12 dozen effects or routines you were working on. How'd you do on that? Believe it or not, I actually didn't get to it. All right. I believe it. <laughs> <laughs> if those are the choices, I, I can believe that. Not, a, not a one. Not a one. <laughs> really? That is no. shocking for you because you're usually constantly working on something. Right. Yeah. No, I, I've set that document aside for the moment. Mm. And uh, those documents aside for the moment. And I, I just haven't gotten back to it yet. But I will in the coming weeks for sure. Great. So what's the goal for next time? I was going to just set a goal to have a goal for the next podcast. You've definitely done that before. Have I done that before? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You've definitely done that before. A hundred percent. All right. Let me think of a better one. Uh, I mean, you didn't do the one from last week. You can just carry that over. <laughs> oh, right, right. Let me carry that over. Thank you for giving me. <laughs> you just achieved the goal that I was going to make. Of finding a goal. Yeah. Yeah. This goal stuff's getting I, embarrassing, brother. I get it. I get it. But it's <laughs> to keep us accountable. That's the thing. It's to have some sort of, even if you don't get to it, to at least have that in the back of your mind. So when you get to a moment like now, when you're like, oh, I didn't reach my goal, you feel a little guilt and maybe that'll I motivate do. you for next yeah. week. <laughs> yeah. Well, in this case, it was kind of intentional. I wanted to just kind of put it down and let it marinate and get back to it. That's not just an excuse. Because yeah. normally when you check in with me, I go, okay, I did that. Yeah, mm -hmm. I did the thing. Yeah that yeah. we said we were going to do or at least worked on it but this was more of an intentional choice to kind of let it let it marinate and go back yeah so. okay yeah you need to rest away from it to come back to it it's a and good technique new ideas it is yeah i would tell you the truth if it was just laziness it's not yeah this is good <laughs> <laughs> so anywho fantastic uh, fantastic number 87 thank you absolutely thank you for being part of it Thank you for being here. Uh, as always, you can visit my website, ericdittleman.com. Find me on my socials, at edittleman. By the way, if you are listening to this and aren't following our socials uh, for the podcast, at MindMagicPod, uh, do so. We've, uh, you know, we usually kind of, it's, uh, it's, a, uh, it's been a way of compilating both your social media and mine in a way. So if we have big announcements, we'll put it there. So if yeah. you're, you know, want to kind of put the two together. Um, but also, yeah, it's a good way to keep track of, you know, listening to fun little clips that I think are interesting, uh, that I post as little snippets to get you interested in the episode, uh, but also more importantly for you to share. Uh, so if you think anyone um, wants to hear, you know, this little snippet or thinks it's good advice or uh, or if you think it's bad advice and want to, you know, poke fun of it, whatever, <laughs> you can share it to your friends uh, and hopefully get them interested into the podcast as well. Uh, we try to be accessible for everyone, not just in the magic community, because, again, as we have jugglers writing in and other people from performance arts or just even your day to day, uh, we think a lot of this ideas of process uh, and creativity can apply to them as well. So um, if you have a friend, let them know. We'd appreciate it. 
Uh, and then, Matt, what plugs do you want to do? MattFranco.com. Mind blown. <laughs> <laughs> what are the odds? And you have shows in Vegas, so come out to Vegas. Go see Matt in Vegas. Yes, indeed. While we were sitting here, I, uh, the video went up on YouTube. It looks like they put them both together. So uh, it looks like the Ellen clips are out there, and I think they married them into one. Uh, we'll put a link in that to uh, the show notes in the show notes. Yeah, so it looks like I was because I got the clip and it's like 10 minutes, almost nine something minutes. And I was like, did I didn't run long for this for this first routine. <laughs> and then I realized I think they just tied them both Combined together. It together. So boom, all in one place. Easier to find. Boom. Bingo, bango. Love it. Well, uh, just uh, I know we've been chatting about ways to end the podcast, but with everything going on in the world right now, uh, I'm just going to say be kind to one another, you know? Be, be good human beings, and, uh, you know, people are going through stuff. So be kind is what I'm going to say. Is that a good and way to end it, what I'm going to say is we've, we've given you the mind and the magic, and now it's over. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs>